I want you to open your Bible this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. We're looking, we're beginning in verse 25 this evening as we're moving through this book of 1 Corinthians. I want to show you some things as we get started here tonight. I want to put some of this on the screen. If you would, would you be able to show up back there too or just right here? You don't have to if you'd not. I mean, it's if you can, it'd be, it would be good. Can you do that? All right, these guys are, I call them the instant oatmeal gang. They're going to get this for me. But what you see here, just a, just a map like you would see in your scripture. And what this is here is just a map. You got, of course, the Mediterranean Sea. There we go. You have the Mediterranean Sea. And you see Paul's second missionary journey, and you see how he traveled around there. He was uh, an apostle with a message, and he was always on the move. And you'll see there that there's a place called Corinth. And uh, what I want you to see is that uh, that was a real place. It had uh, a real city. There were real people that gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, just like you and I tonight. And I want to show you just a, just a few other little, uh, some, you can flip through. I'll tell you when to, there, there's some of the ruins of the city of Corinth. If you could just imagine, there's families there, boys and girls growing up there. There's commerce going on there. You can see that. Go to the next one. You can see some ruins of Corinth and uh, see things went on there, temples, ungodly temples are there see those there that's a very ungodly temple a lot of bad stuff went on there and then uh this last one there's a big theater there i'm sure re redone you know re but but a, a duplicate and there's kind of a there's a kind of a picture of what they kind of think that corinth would have looked like this this greek city of culture but i just want you to see that that these are real people that are there. And there are our brothers and sisters were there in the Lord 2,000 years ago now with Jesus. And here's the thing. Paul went to this city and he, he preached the gospel there. This was a really ungodly city in many ways. I mean, to, to, tell, to, to say somebody that you're, you're a Corinthian, that's like a real cut down. You know, you're a real immoral type person. But Paul took the gospel. In other words, he took the light and he went into this darkness and the light of Jesus penetrated the heart and Jesus uh, came into these folks' lives. And so Paul writes this letter that we're kind of moving through here. And we'll, we'll go through a little more. We're almost half through, halfway through this book. But I want to read tonight. I want to read verse 25. I want to read it through the end of the chapter. So listen, listen to this. Look on the screen. These verses will be here. We've called this the Corinthian crisis. Paul's word to a wayward church. Now, look at me here a second, and, and we're going to go through this pretty quick tonight. But I want to tell you, it's not just enough to start the journey. You've got to maintain your walk with the Lord. I mean, when you, when you look at this book in the first chapter, what we see, Paul addresses them as the, the saints, the believers at Corinth. Saints. He calls them saints. So these are, these are really, these are people who have given their hearts 
to the Lord. But yet there's some real bad issues, some things that would that were damaging the, their personal lives individually. But but what damages us personally can hurt the church because we're all tied together in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, in love, is writing these, and he's trying to get these things worked out so that the gospel will shine really, really bright in the city of Corinth. And saying that, don't you want the light to really shine here on this hill? It's going to shine, and it is shining. It's going to shine brighter and brighter all the time. And uh, one of the things that I want us to, to pray about, Reese touched on it this evening, I want us to make our missions a matter of prayer. Would you do that this week? Would you just write down your prayer list? I need to pray for our missionaries. I need to pray for our missions program at the church. We need to keep that bright, okay, because it's all about missions. And, and we don't want to diminish. We want to start. We want to add to as we go forth. And so let's keep that in prayer. I've been praying about that all week long. That's been on my heart. And I so appreciate Brother Brant and Sister Joanne. They did a great job. And thank you for your offering to them on Sunday. But let's look at this. This is going to be good. we got some of these young people here tonight. This young man here, brand new from Mesquite High School. And this young man, not new, but still from Mesquite. We'll forgive you all for that. But hey, anyway, no, I'm kidding. I have no dog in that fight. I didn't graduate from any of those schools. But anyway, so we're glad to have the, some of the young people here. This will be real, But there's something for everyone. You ever notice that no matter what the subject is, there's always something there for everyone. It's amazing how the Word of God, it's like it's layered. So everyone's going to get something this evening, those that are watching online. We've got a number of sick folks tonight, by the way. I won't go through that list, but um, look at these great verses. Look at this right here. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. He said, I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Notice what he says, verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, she will have trouble. Such will have trouble in the flesh but I would spare you. Notice verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives shall live as, as though they have none. I think I need to clarify that right there. But, uh, and you, you probably know your Bible well enough to know that there's, a, that there's a message there. Verse 30. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world is not misusing it. For the form of this war of the world is passing away. So what Paul said in that little chapter is this. You need to keep your eyes on eternity. When he says those who are married as though they're not. What he's saying is in all the circumstances that you're in, you need to keep your eyes on eternity. Okay, look at verse 32. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, that how he may please the Lord. But he who is, uh, he who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman, that's the virgin, cares about the things of the Lord, that she, how she may be holy in both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares 
for the he was she was married cares for the things of the world how she may please her husband and this I say for your profit not to put a leash on you but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction now that's the that's the driving force here Marriage is a subject here, but the driving force is Paul wants them to serve the Lord unhindered, whether married or whether single. God, that's the issue. Are we serving the Lord? Verse 36. But if a man thinks that he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she has passed the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Probably talking to the father here. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin daughter, he does well. So then he who gives her, the father who gives her in marriage, does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Verse 39, important verse. Amen. A wife is bound to, by law to, uh, as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry whom she wishes, only in the Lord, but she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Amen. What Paul's dealing with here is he's dealing with partly married you see that. We dealt with that last week. But he's also dealing with single individuals in the kingdom of God. And what he's talking about is how we can live out our faith in, in these different roles in the community of the Lord. Now, in these relationships. Everybody say relationships. Now, Lone Ranger Christianity is very foreign to the Word of God. We're living in a community. And we need to remember that. In this chapter, Paul's been talking about, as last week, Christians married to Christians. He's telling us how to live. Then, then, he, then he's talking to Christians married to unbelievers. We've all seen that. Christians that are married to non-believers, that can be very difficult. But then tonight, he's really dealing with unmarried Christians. And he's going to deal with that. Yesterday, I was in a, or this week, I was in a, uh, a Monday, actually, I was in a meeting, uh, credentialing meeting, interviewing credential candidates, and they would come in, and then we would say, well, first thing we do is, you know, we'd introduce, we'd say, okay, tell us your story. And then, you know, uh, uh, a single young lady came in, and, and she told us, and then a young man came in, and he was single, and he was talking along, and I asked, I said, I said, I didn't know, I said, are you married? And I could tell by his response that here's a young man in the ministry, on staff, not married. I could tell that was a sore spot with him, an insecure spot. Maybe that's a better word. He was insecure. And, and what I said to him was, I think, surprised him. And I said this, because I sensed that it was kind of a, a, an insecure place for him. But I said this, I said to the young man, I said, do you know that, that Paul highlights the single status as a believer as something very desirable as a, in a manner of serving the Lord? He said, well, I never thought about it that way. And I said, you know, you need to read the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians where it talks about that a single person serving the Lord has great value. And so it's a very desirable place if you can handle that. And so uh, tonight, what I want to look at tonight is what God's word says 
about single. And about, really, I want to talk a little bit in this teaching about decision-making because we make hundreds of decisions within a week. But, but, but the most important decisions that we'll, we'll make is, of course, serving the Lord. The second would be the marriage relationship. But we're going to talk a little bit about those things. What's happened is I think this, this area talks about singleness and it talks about uh, virginity, which, which the Bible says that if you're single and know the Lord, that's the way you need to live, chase before the Lord. But I think what's happened is in this area of singleness, we, we've, kind of adopted, uh, we've kind of adopted the philosophy of the world. And I mean, the Bible says that we're not to adopt culture, that we're in a new kingdom. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what we're going to look at, we're going to move through this portion this evening, and what we're going to see is what Paul says about these issues. So first of all, look at verse 25 again. Paul says, he talks about virgin. Now concerning, and the ESV says it this way, now concerning the betrothed. Now that's a different translation. This one says, now concerning virgins. So I think that betrothed is a good translation because in this culture, kids were, were, it was arranged marriages, which they do in that in some part. We don't do it. That would be a little weird for us. But this is what they did in this culture. It was arranged marriages. And many times they were arranged from little children. These things were just planned out for these kids. Uh, one of our scholars in the Assemblies of God, Stanley Horton, said this in his commentary on this text. He says this, and I quote in verse 25. He says, and I quote, this is a masculine plural, but includes both young men and women. Okay, so the virgin includes young men, young women, most of whom were probably engaged. That is, he says, promised by their parents according to the ancient custom, closed quote. Now, the truth is, the passage I read you tonight, we don't really know exactly who Paul's addressing. Scholars, good scholars, fall on both sides of this. Some say this is addressed to the fathers who had the responsibility of, of giving their children and and. That fell on the fathers in that culture. But other scholars says, no, no, no. This is addressed to the young men who are betrothed to the young ladies, and they have to make a decision, should I marry this person? Should I go through this and, and get married? So we really don't know. Both, both falls, it falls in both categories, good scholarship. What I want you to see is this. First of all, I want you to see that in this passage, I love how the word of God is practical. In this passage, Paul shows us the blessings of marriage and the burdens of marriage. He shows us the blessings of singleness and the burdens of, of singleness. And my, my late father-in-law used to say this. He would say this to me. Son, you need to take a little bitter with the sweet. You know what he meant by that? He meant that nothing in this life is perfect. Everything in that, the best marriage is going to have its tensions. No matter where you are in life, it's going to have a little bitter and a little sweet. And we need to live in that tension in the grace of God. So what this passage is dealing with is in, in, in some ways it's dealing with decisions. How do I make decisions for my life? Should I marry? Should I not marry? But, but I want to take it a little broader than that. Because I, we all make decisions. Now, I'm going to give you some, some just little practical things that I see here. And first of all, I want you to see this. Verse 25, Paul said this. Look at it. He says, Paul said, I've been counted faithful as one who received mercy. 
you know, and to give you a good decision, basically. So here's what I would say to you. When, you, when you're making decisions for your life, in fact, let me read it. Verse 25, he says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. You need to listen to spiritual people. When we're decision-making, we need to listen to the advice of spiritual people. Do you realize that spiritual people can do the best good in our lives? And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul is like a father over the church. And he's saying, I don't have a command. There's no direct command from God here. But, but I love you, and I want to give you some spiritual advice. So here's Paul, an anointed prophet, an anointed apostle of the Lord, and he's given solid counsel. And I thought about this today. We need to really listen to the advice of spiritual people. See, I thought about Lot, who stayed very close to Abraham for a while, and he did really good. Do you remember? But when he separated from Abraham, he started making horrible choices, ended up in Sodom, lost his wife, his children, his daughters became corrupt. And I often wonder if he had stayed really close to Abraham, if that really sage, solid spiritual advice would have kept him. We need to listen to the advice of spiritual people. We need to listen. We need to stay close to the right people. Proverbs says this, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will come to calamity. Maybe the problems in people's lives are simply they're hanging around the wrong crowd. They're being influenced by the wrong voices. They're listening to the wrong people. We need to listen to the advice of spiritual people. Paul wanted the best for the betrothed couples in Corinthian, and he spoke the truth to them in love. We need to listen to these kind of people. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see. It's a question. How do I find direction in my life for the Lord? Now, here it's talking about marriage, but let's broaden it out a little bit. How do we find direction in our lives? Paul said, verse 25 again, I have no commandment from the Lord. Well, Paul, how can you tell us what to do? You don't have a word from Jesus. Jesus never dealt with this. So how do we find direction in our lives? Do you realize there's a lot of things in life, most things in life, the detailed things are not mentioned in the word of God. You understand that? Nowhere in the word of God do I find my wife's name that she was the one I was supposed to marry. Nowhere in the word of God does it tell me the name of what church to attend. Nowhere in the Word of God does it tell me to buy a Ford or a Dodge. You see what I'm saying? Nowhere in the Word of God does it tell me what house to buy. So how do I make wise decisions? So Paul said here, I'm going to give you a direction. I'm going to give you wise spiritual advice, but I don't have a commandment from the Lord on this. So how do we deal with those kinds of issues? Here's, here's what I would say to you on this. First of all, you need a thorough knowledge of the Bible. You need a thorough knowledge of the Word of God. Do you know why? Because when you are full of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, to uh, Amos, to Zechariah, to the Psalms, to the Gospels, to the Epistles, through, through all the Word of God, when, when you read, see, the Word of God is woven together miraculously. One of the signs and one of the evidences that this is a supernatural book is the unity of the Bible. I mean, in this room tonight, if, if, if I said, okay, let's write on the subject 
healing. And write a paper, come back, and let's compare our papers next week. In one week's time, there'd be so much disagreement among us. How can, how can men write the Word of God, 14, 1,600 years apart, 40 different authors, many of them didn't even know each other, and yet there's an absolute perfect unity? I, I'm going to tell you how. It's absolutely impossible in the natural, but this is a supernatural book. And so do you realize that when you fill your life with the Word of God, you literally, you begin to think spiritually. You have a framework. Then all of a sudden, you're, you're the, the one you're supposed to marry, their name's not in the Word of God, but you know the kind of person that you're to marry. You understand? Your framework is spiritual. Your decision-making is biblical and spiritual, even when you don't have a direct command from God. All of a sudden, you go buy a car. There's no, no Ford or Dodges or Toyotas in the Word of God, but you know how to spend your money. You know how to be wise and to say, why? Because you filled your life with the knowledge of the Word of God. And all of a sudden, you have the mind of Christ. And this fits into every part of life. Tonight, we're, we're talking about marriage or deciding to be married or single. Here's the second thing, and I would say is this. Study the nature and the attributes of God. You want to make right decisions in life? Study the nature and the attributes of God. I would be ashamed. Now, I, I'm not picking on you. I think I'd be, uh, I'd be surprised, not ashamed, surprised tonight if I said, okay, how many of you have read a theology book cover to cover? I don't raise your hand. We may be disappointed. Oh, we don't need that dusty theology. Oh, don't, don't need, don't, oh my. Really? Do you know what theology is? The knowledge of God. I'm going to say it again. The knowledge of God. Do you think we need the knowledge of God? That's what we're to be boasting in, Jeremiah says. Boast that you know me. I'm reading two theology books right now. One is this thick, and I just got the other one today. Thank God for Amazon. <laughs> the doorbell just rang, and I thought, oh, there's my book. I'm reading a theology book from a DTS guy. An old one, 1949. Oh, the, the dead guys are the best ones. Hallelujah. You get a knowledge of the attributes of God. You, you, you learn how to make decisions based on God's plan and God's will. So how does that work? The attributes and knowledge of God. Because God never changes. And he, what he, 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 he operates in a certain way. You say, Pastor, God can do anything wrong. He cannot operate outside his holy character. Did you hear that? God can do anything. No, he can't. Listen to this verse. This is 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, notice he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Say that with me. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his holy character. He can do anything. He cannot operate outside of his nature. The more I know the character and the attributes of God, listen, the more I know how to find God's direction. See, my wife has a certain nature. I've lived with her 32 years and dated her three years before that. I know I don't look that old. <laughs> Come on, I pray. 
But the thing is, I know her nature. I know her character. If you told me something about her that was completely opposite of her nature, I would have completely ignored it. Why? Because that's not her nature. See, when God's leading you and the enemy comes in and tries to trip you up and get you going down in, down some rabbit hole somewhere, if you know the character of God, you'll say, that's not my God. That's not the way my God would speak. See, we begin to know God personally, and that's what Christianity is. It's knowing God. Here's the, here's the third thing. And this, is, this is just extra. The Holy Spirit is our guide. Amen? Amen. He lives within you. He is your faithful guide in all matters. We have been partakers of the divine nature. You have a divine friend on the inside of you. You're just a human being. We're just fallible. We're, we're human. But God has shared his Holy Spirit with us. Every Christian, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, has been partakers of the Holy Spirit. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. You have a faithful friend. You need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. He guides us into all truth. And I would, I would say this to you. Do you have peace about the decision you're making? Here, the, the, the fathers or the betrothed young men are having to make a decision. Paul is saying, I don't have a command for this. Sometimes we don't have a command for certain things. Should I buy this car? Should I, should I go in business with this person? Should I get in this contract? Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit will guide you and he will also guard you. Do you have peace from the Holy Spirit? The Bible said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Think about it. And then I would just leave you with this on this little point, and that's prayer. Much prayer for decision-making. Quiet time in the Lord's presence is needed anytime a decision is made. You need to wait on the Lord. The Bible says, you'll seek me, you'll find me. If you, if you come visit me like going through Wendy's, is that, that in there? Did I miss that? And I missed that. I think I misquoted that, didn't I? You know? No. He said, you'll seek me. You'll find me if you what? If you seek me with all of your heart. I noticed this. Jot this down as reference. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Jesus spent all night in prayer. All night in prayer. He had to make a decision. All these people, there were going to be 12. The Lord was going to show him. Okay, it's you. It's you. Okay, Peter, you know, different ones. He chose the apostles. He chose his disciples. How? After a whole night in prayer. Do you think if Jesus needed prayer and time and quietness in the presence of the Father in making decisions, we, we do more? Certainly. Certainly we do more. So, uh, so that's just talking about decision-making. I felt like I needed to say that for someone this evening. So let's, let's look at this passage of Scripture, and let's look at some questions about marriage. And questions about singleness. Here's the question that I would ask you. And this question I have formed out of verse 29 through 31 and verse 35. Here's the question. Is this marriage going to diminish my walk with the Lord, uh, my walk with and service to the Lord? Is it, is it, should I get married to this person? Well, is this relationship that you wanted to get into, is it going to diminish your relationship and your service to God. Verse 35, we'll skip down to there for time's sake. Here's what it says. He says uh, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And what he's talking about here, he's, he's dealing with 
this, this thing, you know, about should I get married? He's talking about time is short, things are going on there. And, and I just thought about this. Should I get married to this person? Will that person lift you up in God or they pull you down? You know, Christians should not missionary date. Amen. Don't be unequally yoked together. Say that with me. Don't be unequally yoked together. Don't missionary date. Get up to make sure they're saved beforehand. I thought about these great couples that were such a strength in the Bible. What about Aquila and Priscilla? They were a husband and wife team. We see in Acts 18, 24 through 26, then Paul greeted them, this couple, Romans 16, verse 2, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in the Lord. It's an amazing thing to serve God as a husband and wife. And both have such a love for God that you want to pour your heart out for the work of God in the church and through the church. It's even awesome, more awesome when a whole family can serve the Lord. But you may need to make sure that this relationship will not diminish your walk with the Lord. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Both had bad character. Both. And I thought about this. I thought, what, what if one of those had had a heart for God? It might have kept the other one from making a very foolish decision and losing so much there. So here's the second question found in verse 26. Are there insurmountable obstacles that diminish your chances for a successful marriage? Verse 26. Look at this. He says back up here again. I suppose, therefore, that. This is good because of the present distress that is good for a man to remain as, as he is. In other words, single. So Paul deals with the present distress. Now, we really don't know what the present distress in Corinthian, Corinth was. It probably was one or two things. There was probably within Corinth itself, there was probably some, some persecution going on there against the Christian community. Or possibly Paul, the Holy Spirit had showed Paul that very soon this great Roman persecution is going to break out in the Roman Empire. So he uses this thought of present distress. And what he's saying to these young couples is that in this present pressure cooker persecution, your relationships, the chances of them making that are less. And I want to spare you this. I mean, when we get married, we want the best chances to make this work. And so no, notice this. Now, this is later on. This is not Corinth. But later on, when Jerusalem fell, notice what Paul says about marriages and families and how difficult it was. And by the way, it, marriage is a pressure cooker today. Man, we're losing a lot of marriages in the Christian community. People are divorcing so easily in the church, out of the church. And so there, I, I would say in some ways the present distress today about marriage. But notice Luke chapter 21, 23. This is about the destruction of Jerusalem and, and the, the Jewish Christian community. He says this, but woe to those who are pregnant and those, with, those who are nursing babies in those days, uh, 69 AD or 70 AD. Uh, he says, for, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. So Paul's talking about the distress when the Jewish Christians are fleeing and the Jewish people are fleeing from Jerusalem, Titus, Roman general, coming in and taking over the city. And, and so we see that there. It was going to be very stressful on families. Marriage is very stressful today. So we need to make sure if there's not insurmountable obstacles that will diminish our chances for successful 
relationships. Here's the third question found in verse 28. Can I handle the pressures of married life? Because marriage is a blessing, but it, it also does make life harder in many ways. Can I hear an amen there? No, don't say amen too loud, especially if your husband or wife is there. Verse 28, he says this, you'll have trouble in the flesh. Now notice this, marriage is harder than single life in many ways. How, what, more finances. You, you, you have a whole other personality that you've not lived with your whole life. And all of a sudden you throw these people together in the same house and they, you know, one, one squeezes the toothpaste from the middle and the other from the bottom. And then, you know, they can't do this. One is messy and one's a clean freak, right? One folds the towels this way, one folds the towel that way. And then you have these conflicting personalities. I mean, you know, you laugh, I heard giggles and chuckles, but how many people get divorced because of, we're in, you know, the divorce says we're, we're incompatible in this relationship. You know, it's, it's hard. Two different people. My wife and I come from two different worlds. You know, my, my family was more tense and, you know, but her family was like, you know, she never even heard her mom and dad argue. I think that's unrealistic. I had to argue in the bedroom or something, but she said, no, I never remember my mom and dad ever have a, having a cross word with each other. But children and then children come along. All these things are, are can be difficult. So can I handle the pressure of a relationship? Can I tell you this? Marriage takes work. You got to work at it. It's got to be purposeful. It's not a part-time thing. It's a, it's a 24-hour. We're in this. So can you handle it? I'm talking to you young folks that are not even married. I'm talking to you. Listen to me. Listen to Pastor tonight. Come on. Amen. Listen to me tonight. I'm trying to tell you something good. I love you. Here's the fourth question. Am I willing to yield to the roles which God has ordained for, for a, a, a Christian marriage? Am I willing to yield to the roles? A marriage, in marriage, the Lord has, has designated roles for husband and wife. There's teaching in the Bible about marriage. And the role that God has designed, the husband is a loving leader. But he is a leader. Amen. The wife is a, a loving supporter. She's a helpmeet. You say, well, that's diminishing. That's, that's, that's insulting. Serious? God calls himself our helper. That's right. Helper's not, not insulting. It's, it's God's plan. And let me tell you, it works. Our culture frowns on this kind of thought. Our culture has mixed up the image of people. People are born this way and they think they're this way. And, you know, people are so confused. God is not confused about who they are. Listen, can I tell you what the Bible says? No, can I tell you what the Bible says the marriage is and what a marriage is? It's not whatever. It's not 50 different things. Marriage is clearly delineated in the word of God. And it is it is a covenant, lifelong covenant between a man and woman. The words of Jesus. Listen. And he answered, this is Matthew 19. He answered and he said to them, have you not read? He goes right, Jesus goes back to the book. Have you not read? He who made them at the beginning, he made them male and female. Say that with me, male and female. 
Come on, we need to say it again. Male and female. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The words of Jesus, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Am I willing to yield to the roles that God has given? See, here's the fifth question. Is it the right time? Or should I wait? Paul deals with that in verse 26 through 27. Paul's saying, you know, present distress, you know, remain as you are because of all this. Paul is saying, you need to really think about this. You may need to wait. Is it the right time to be married? Here's the sixth question that I formed. It's uh, what, what do those who love you the most feel about your getting married? Well, my dad, he's always down on everything. My mom this, and, uh, you know, they don't like anything I do, and they don't like the stringy-haired guy with, you know, nose rings and, you know, can't keep a job. Duh. Okay. What, listen, what do those who love me the most feel about this marriage? See, Paul is addressing this congregation as a father He's, he's probably addressing the fathers. And in the text, what we see is, verse 36, look at verse 30, the latter part says, let them marry. And he's probably talking to the fathers here and, and, and these, these betrothed daughters. He says, let them marry. If you feel in your heart this is the right thing, the father, then let them marry. So what do the people feel that love me the most? See. Here's the seventh question. Are you willing to stay married until the, until the day you die? No exceptions. Well, Jesus did give an exception. But verse 39, as long as her husband lives. And you'll notice as you read the text, it starts out talking to the, to the man. And then as you go down there, it switches over and starts talking to the lady, to the woman. But here, uh, verse, as long as her husband lives. Are you willing to stay married for life because it's a lifelong covenant here's the last question number eight do i have the spiritual maturity to make this marriage work or will my immaturity destroy it are you with me it takes maturity to have a good marriage you know, I, I, just for reference, I won't read it for time's sake, but Ephesians 5 talks about husband's love. And, and that's not romantic love there. Thank God for romantic love. We're here at Valentine's. Oh, hallelujah. But, but that's not romantic love. It's agape. And it means not the love of choice or the love of, or the love of chance, but agape is the love of choice. I, 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 in the love of God, I choose to unconditionally love you and, and wives see that you respect your husband there's this mutual agreement that we're going to work together in this marriage i'm going to love you and and we're going to work together we're going to make this marriage work but so many times dr henry brandt he said this many marriages are based on mutual selfishness that's a sad statement but he's, he's done a lot of counseling many marriages are based on mutual selfishness so so look at this with me. Paul is addressing the subject of the unmarried. Unmarried young men, unmarried young, with, young virgins, young women. And 
he concludes here and he calls them virgins. And, and the reason he does that is because for, for the child of God, singleness means chastity. It, it's, it's what it means. That's the plan of God. That's the ideal. We know that that doesn't always happen, but, but that's God's ideal. That's God's will. That's God's plan. Now, I'm going to end this teaching. I'm gonna, I want to, uh, I think they may have these up. If not, I'll, I'll just read these. I have a commentary. It's actually a, a, a Foursquare pastor, Robert Willoughby. It's, it's a commentary on Corinthians. It's called Fostering Spirituality. And on page 92, he lists four reasons that Christian singles should remain pure before the Lord. And he addresses this word virgin, you know, being holy this way. Four things. And I thought these were really great. I thought these were really awesome. So four things, and then we'll, we'll close. Four reasons for Christian singles to remain pure and chaste before God. Number one, and I read these. He said this, virginity affirms that God has widely God, I'm sorry, that God has wisely ordained that sexual intercourse should, 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 circum, circumscribe, should be circumscribed with family and responsibility. To engage in the first without the second is to bring great psychological harm to the individual and serious consequence to society. Number two, he says... Virginity cries out that there is more to life than the satisfaction of sexual appetite. This can, this can well afford to wait on the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual development that prepares one for all aspects of marriage, including sexual intimacy. Number three. Virginity precludes both pregnancy before marriage and contracting sexually, a sexually transmitted disease. Number four, virginity delights to believe God has chosen a special person for me. And in time, he will bring us together in that context, in that context of unconditional love and publicly proclaimed commitment and not before. And I will become one flesh with that person. Amen. Let's stand. So we finished chapter number seven. And what I would like to do is just have, you know, here we are at, at um, we are here at Valentine's and we want to, we want to have strong relationships within the church. You young men and you young ladies, you that are, that are, hadn't been married that long. Others have been married quite some time. Others are single and will be married one day. You need to really take these things to heart because you know, the Lord wants the very best for us. Does he not? He wants us to have life and life more abundant. You, you can't buy into culture and what culture says about relationships and be happy. It doesn't work that way. But if we'll buy into what the Word of God says, whether married or whether single, Paul, Paul values singleness. You that are single and maybe your, your mates have passed on, you know, so many widows through the years have been such a blessing to the church. Their mates passed on, but yet they have time for prayer. They have time to help out in the work of God. They have time to cook for like funerals. And, and, and it's amazing how the single widows, in fact, in the New Testament church, there was actually a ministry an official ministry for widows. They were like a ministry that they supported. There's a great value in singleness. 
I remember watching a deal. You can watch it on YouTube. And I, and I thought it was striking what this gentleman said. There was a, a man named Dick Prinicky. He was a man who, at the age of 50, moved to Alaska. And he, had, uh, he was in the military as a carpenter and all these things. Well, then he, he moved up to Kodiak, Alaska, and, and he, there was a, uh, he was welding, and somebody was welding, and something exploded, and it hurt his eyes, and he, he didn't even know in one eye if he was going to be able to see again. And so finally, it, after a little while, it got all right, and it just so shook him up. He moved to, he moved to, a, to a place in Alaska, and he built his own cabin with his—he he even made the tools, many of the tools, with his own hand, no electric. He built this cool cabin that actually the Alaska Parks and Wildlife now takes care of that. He's passed on, but he, he lived by himself for 40 years. 40 years, built his cabin by hand, and you can see all this. It's called Alone in the Wilderness. You can go watch it on YouTube. It's very delightful. But wait, here's what he said. I said, do you ever get lonely? He said, I felt at peace with myself. Here's a single person all along. I felt at peace with myself. Do you realize that before we can ever have a, an abundant life marriage, we have to be at peace with ourselves, we have to have peace in our own heart with God. We have to be whole within ourselves and not, you know, put dysfunction and dysfunction together. And then you got a lot of dysfunction, you know, and there's no perfect marriage, there's no perfect people. And we all go. But but I thought that was striking. I, I, I felt at absolute peace with myself all of those years. And he lived there 40 years and about 40 years, except for last year or so when he, his health broke. So, you know, 80 something years or whatever. So, but I want to pray that the Lord would bless the relationships of our church. And I hope tonight, as we conclude this, that you'll see that this is wise counsel tonight from the Word of God. These are things that we can take home with us. We can apply, whether single, whether married, and whether, you know, just needing some kind of direction in our life for some, some things. So let's pray. Father, how grateful we are tonight. Thank you for the Word of God that's so practical Lord, our, our Christianity that you've given us is not this ethereal, high-in-the-sky type thing. But, Lord, this gospel has shoe leather. This gospel, Lord, that you've given us teaches us to have maximum relationships. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless the single young men and young ladies. I pray that you bless the young married. I pray you bless the single widows. I pray you bless those who have been married. God, let, let our lives just continue to grow in grace and we just thank you for your blessing. And now continue, continue to bless our church. Be with us this week. Sovereignly guide us. And Father, I ask that you keep us safe in your hand. And everyone said amen. amen. God bless you tonight. We'll see you Sunday.